Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. It is a post-Christian culture. It's post. It's after God. And I realized, boy, in Germany and, you know, in France and all these places, England, everybody has got so much comfort and wonderful food and everything is all comfortable and stuff like that. And there's no God. No God at all. And you start talking about God and you have to go to a psychiatrist. (laughs) Herod has built his life on the foundation that the scriptures will not be fulfilled. And now he's hearing that scriptures are being fulfilled and that the predicted king of the Jews has come. And that troubled him. And the lost fear nothing more than the scriptures are going to be fulfilled. Because if the scriptures are fulfilled, it means that the lost are cast into hell. And that's why the lost fear most that the scriptures are true. And so Herod here, he's afraid of this. And Herod is a ruthless murderer. And there's just no telling what Herod might do now. Because Jerusalem had already seen what he did to these Pharisees. So that's why it says, at the end of verse 3, and Jerusalem with him, and all Jerusalem with him. So Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod was troubled, Jerusalem knew that blood was going to flow. And just this picture of Herod troubled over a foreign, over a group of Arabs seeking the Messiah, it's very instructive for us. Because it shows how the lost are disturbed when someone else comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's just a little harder to say, you know, like uh, this guy said to me, he's talking about his mother. He says, you know, my mother, I love my mother dearly. I, I love my mother so much, but she, she's a believer, but she's not intelligent, he said. <laughs> just his mother. Anyway, so, but he says, you know, I always assumed that people who are Christians were crazies. So this is disturbing when a lost person sees that someone's coming to the Lord Jesus. And this is what Herod is observing in these magi. And now we see what Herod did when he was troubled over the news that there was a king that had been born. It says in verse 4 that he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be born. So this is quite a scene. He gathers all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. Can you imagine that? Every calls all the chief priests and scribes, you need to come to Herod immediately. I mean, this alone would be very unsettling because they all remembered how Herod called all the Pharisees together that predicted he was going to be destroyed and how they all got killed. So here's all these chief priests and scribe Pharisees, and they're all called to appear before Herod. They must have been scared to think, it's a, okay, next thing we're going to hear is off with your heads. And so Herod calls them all together, and he has questions. It's kind of interesting to see this. Herod calls all these people together, and he's got questions. He asks questions. Well, you know, it's what God said in Malachi 2.7. Malachi 2.7, for the priest's lips shall keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. It says they, the priest's lips shall keep knowledge. That's a word shamar. 
which means to guard or protect. Or, and since we are called in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9 calls us a royal priesthood, that's our function in life. Our function in life is to keep knowledge, to guard knowledge, to guard the Word of God, to make the Bible known. Last week was the person I met, and he told me that, oh, he says, uh, God is always with me. He says, God is always with me. He says he doesn't know anything about the Bible with me. So I asked him, I said, do you mind if I just give you a little cliff notes on what the Bible teaches and what the Bible teaches about how sin has made man far from God and how his sin has made him far from God and that the way to sin is eternal separation and pain and suffering and hell. But the Bible teaches about how God loves man and he sent his son to die for him, for you, and so forth. This is what it means to keep knowledge, to guard knowledge which is the job of the priest, and we're a royal priesthood. It means to make known what the Bible teaches. We do that Malachi 2.7 job, Malachi 2.7. We do that job of keeping knowledge when we continually tell people what the Bible teaches. The Malachi 2.7 instructs the people to see the priests as the messengers of God. Go to them to understand what God says. And so it's an interesting scene when you see Herod going to them. And they respond... In verse 5, they said unto him, they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So it shows when they said that, that the common thinking among the Jewish leaders, the common thinking among the priests and the scribes was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They understood that. They knew the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. It seems as though later the priests didn't know that, that the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they assumed that he was born in Nazareth, which was wrong, because what they said in John seven forty, John seven forty, was many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah. But some said, shall Christ, shall the Messiah come out of Galilee? They thought he was born in Nazareth. Hath not the scripture said that Christ, or the Messiah, cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So again, it goes back to how remote and how disowned he was. They didn't even know he was born in Bethlehem. But it says here in Matthew 2, 5, it says, it's in Bethlehem. Now, it's interesting when you think about that, that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, especially when you consider that the word Bethlehem means house of bread, house of bread. As a matter of fact, with this verse that they're quoting in Matthew 2, 6 from Malachi, it says, for out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The literal meaning of that Greek word when it says rule is the word feed. That verse is saying, a governor shall come out of the house of bread. Your government shall come out of Bethlehem. A governor shall come out of the house of bread that will feed Israel, God's people. This is the person, the Lord Jesus is the same person who said about himself in John six fifty one, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I'll give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. So the person who's called the living bread and comes down from heaven is born in the place called the house of bread. The living bread that gave his life for the world is born in a place called the house of bread. And not only is Bethlehem the house of bread that the living bread was born in, but in Bethlehem was a very famous well, a well of water that David actually longed to drink out of. It was famous for its well. It wasn't famous for very many things, but it was famous for its well. And in 2 Samuel 23, 15, 2 Samuel 23, 15, it says, David longed and said, oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So there was a famous well there. 
by Bethlehem. And so, and it was famous, especially because David said this, and men risked their lives to get the water which he poured out on to the Lord. But this is interesting because it says in John 4.10, John 4.10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. So the one born in the place with the famous well is called living water. And in John 7.37, John 7.37, it says in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So the one born in the place with the famous well is the one who said, Come to me and drink. And then in Revelation twenty two seventeen, Revelation twenty two seventeen, where there's this concert of the bride and the spirit, and they're saying, Come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So the one who's born in the place with the famous well is called the water of life. These magi are very, very interesting. It's interesting to look at the magi and to say to yourself, I mean, you've got to put yourself in the position of being a Jewish person in Jerusalem at that time. And here come this Arab group of men. And they, if you were in that position, you would look at them and say, well, they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles. And if you do look at the magi as Gentiles and you see they want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to come to the King of the Jews, and they know to come because of a star, a star which is like a stirring up in their hearts. It's like something that happened. I mean, this picture is of the Gentiles coming to God because God has led them with just a star. I mean, how many times have you heard from the testimonies about Muslim people who have a dream, and they see Jesus, and they hear, and this is like the Magi, they have a star, they don't have the scriptures, but the Jews have the scriptures. The Jews have the scriptures, and they're able to direct the Gentiles, the Magi, to Bethlehem because the scriptures say that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting to see the Gentiles without the scriptures coming only knowing that they need God, in this case being guided by a star, and then to see the Jews with the scripture able to direct the Gentiles to the Messiah? Now, what's so interesting about that picture is to see the Gentiles wanting to come to God and not having the scriptures to direct them to God and telling the Gentiles how to find God and see the Jews not wanting to come to God but having the scriptures, and they're able to direct them to God, but the Jews don't come. I mean, this picture of the Magi and the Jews, it shows us how those who were the Magi, those who were so far away from the Lord Jesus are actually now getting close to the Lord Jesus. And it also shows us how those who were so close to the Lord Jesus, about five miles away, how those who were about so close to the Lord Jesus were actually very far from him. And so the picture of the Magi seeking the king of the Jews, and then to see the leaders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they have no interest in the king. It's a picture of how religious hypocrisy coexists alongside true faith. Hypocrisy on one hand, you have this truth on the other. What we see here is how the Magi with the star, they, they eventually obtain the knowledge of the Scriptures and how the Jewish leaders with the knowledge of the Scriptures, they lose the star. They lose the star, which is what the Lord is talking about in Matthew 25, 29. Matthew 25, 29, where the Lord Jesus says, unto everyone that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. I mean, this picture 
of the Magi with the Jewish leaders there is such a great motivation for carrying the gospel to the Jewish people. Why? Because the Jewish people were the ones who wrote, kept, and gave the scriptures to the world. And yet they didn't come to God. They didn't come to the Lord Jesus through the scriptures that they had. So just think if there was a person who led you to the Lord Jesus and he taught you the Bible and and then that person fell away from God. Would you just say, oh, well, too bad for him? Or would you say, he brought me to God. He brought me God. He brought me the Bible. I'm going to make it my business to bring him the God and the Bible that he brought to me. That's what Jewish evangelism is all about. And that's the why. That's one of the whys of Jewish evangelism. Now, what's also so interesting from the scene is to see how the Jewish leaders are directing and guiding. They're guiding to where the Messiah should be born, but they have no interest in themselves in going to the Messiah. It reminds me of uh, believers who come to Israel for tours. All believers come to Israel for tours. So many tours. Uh, Some tours to shout them out, and I think they had 19 big buses, you know, going all over Israel. Anyway, many, many tours of Israel. And what's interesting is that these tours typically are led by unbelieving Jews, (laughs) unbelieving Jewish tour guides. And so the believers who to Israel are like the Magi, and the unbelieving tour guides are like the Jewish leaders who could guide them to where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. So these unbelieving Jewish tour guides today, they do a really good job of telling the believing Christians, you know, this is where Jesus healed people, and this is where he did this miracle here. This is where he, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration, and you name it, they know it. And yet those unbelieving tour guides, they have no interest in finding this wonderful Lord Jesus that they guide others to know about. It reminds me of a person in Israel one time who told me that how... On a tour he was on with an unbelieving tour guide. He was taking a busload of believers around Israel. And how the believers on that bus, he said like almost every believer on the bus made it their business to try to convert this unbelieving Jewish tour guide. He said, the tour guide was like, okay, here we go again. All right. And they said that every time the poor guy sat down just to eat his sandwich for lunch, there would come a believer that's going to win him to the Lord. And he had no interest in the Lord at all. He was teaching about it, but he had no interest. And so it's just so interesting to see this interaction of the Jews and the Magi and these opening verses here in, in Matthew 2. It's like the Gentiles and the Jews. I mean, another way to look at it is to see how the Gentiles and the Jews are actually helping each other. Because the Gentile Magi, they knew the time of the birth of the Messiah, and the Jewish priests knew the place of the Messiah. Now, can't, can't you just picture how nice it would have been if it was? The Magi would have said, we saw his star. And then it would have been nice if the Jews had said, we know where he's going to be born. And you met those two together, and the interchange would have been beautiful of what they each knew and how they helped each other, and they went together. That would be wonderful. If they went together to Bethlehem. But it's this interchange that's the point here. The interchange of what each person knows, because it's this interchange of what each person knows that increases knowledge. And this is what makes the breaking of a bread service such a great service that we just had, because this person shares what he's found in the scriptures, and that person shares what he's found in the scriptures, and then the hymn shares, the hymn writer shares what he's found. It's like each party, when you go into the hymns or person to person, you're running back and forth, to and fro, 
And the end result is that knowledge is increased. You know, that's a great thing about the breaking of bread is that I don't hear myself. I sometimes do, but I shouldn't, you know. But anyway, because I love to hear what other people have to say, which is exactly what God said would happen in Daniel 12.4. Daniel 12.4, God spoke to Daniel in Daniel 12.4. He said, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And hopefully this morning, something that I said will spark your curiosity in the Scriptures, and as a result, you'll see something new in the Bible and that I didn't see. And so together, this running to and fro, many shall run to and fro, and, and knowledge shall be increased. The Gentiles, they know something. They know the time. And the Jews, they know something. They know the place. And this was all designed by God, that the Gentiles and the Jews, they need each other. And that's why Romans 11.11 is so important. Romans 11.11, which says, I say then, have the Jews stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So the Gentiles need the Jews to see how God fulfills his promises as the Jews are a visual evidence that God does save Jews, and also they're a visual evidence of the link between the Old and New Testaments, that they're really one book. And the Jews need the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy, to come to God, which is why I tell new Jewish believers, like not that there are so many new Jewish believers, but anyway, the one or two that come every 15 years. But I always tell them, I said, don't go to a Messianic synagogue that's made up primarily of Jewish believers. Don't do that. Go to a church with Gentile believers. Why? Because Gentile believers need Jewish believers to see God's grace extended to the Jews, and Jewish believers need Gentile believers to see God's grace extended to the Gentile world. What happens here is that when the Jewish leaders there are called by Herod, that they actually quote the scripture, which is Malachi 2.6. They quote the scripture. They're relying on it for what they're saying, which is the way it should be. When it says in Matthew 2.6, Matthew 2.6, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The way the scripture is given in Malachi and the way that it's quoted here in Matthew, the wording is almost like a question, like a I don't want to say taunt, but it's like a question, something like, Bethlehem, are you too small to be counted as one of the thousands of towns in Israel? And here in Matthew, he's using the word princess, princes, instead of towns, cities. Because Micah uses the word towns, but Matthew calls them princes, so he's personifying them. He's personifying the cities, and he says, are you so small? You know, this is kind of what's going on here. This is question, Bethlehem, oh, Bethlehem, are you too small? And so he said, out of you will come a governor. Now, these are the very words that terrorized Herod. A rival was coming. And we've seen that what was particularly important to see about Bethlehem is how insignificant it was. Are you so small? You're not even really counted among the thousands, are you? but yet how significant they will become. And this is the whole point about Bethlehem. This is the whole point about the Lord Jesus. When he's born, he's, he's hidden, he's remote, he's, he's disowned. How insignificant he is, just like the town of Bethlehem. But the Lord Jesus is going to be seen to be God. He's going to become supremely significant, and the same is true of Bethlehem. 
when it's going to have this reputation of the birthplace of the king. Now, as soon as Herod hears the scripture, he swings into action in verse 7. Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So Herod is showing particular interest in the time. The time. What time? What time was it? Exactly what time was the star appearing? This is because Herod is assuming that the time of the star's appearance was the time that the child was born. He's dead wrong on this. But he's calculating to know how old the child was to be sure that he murders the right child. (laughs) Actually, both the Magi and the Herod made this wrong assumption. They made the assumption that the star appeared when the Messiah was born. But this wasn't true at all because the Magi are going to find the child baby. And that meant that the star appeared two years earlier to the Magi before the Messiah was born. By the way, it wasn't like Herod never thought of this possibility. So he covered himself because when he gave the order to murder all the babies, he said, you kill all the babies from two years old and less, just in case, you know. But what's interesting about this is is how God got the Magi on the road in their journey two years before the Lord was born. So they would be there just at the right time following the birth of the Lord. And that was like perfect timing, perfect timing for God. God really knows what he's doing. It's interesting about this, how God works in the lives of the Magi with the star long before they reach the Lord Jesus. And this is what God does in the lost. He works in their lives long before they come to the Lord Jesus. So when we bring the gospel to the lost, don't think that we are the only God influence in their lives. Just like the appearance of the star, we're just one of the chain of events, one of the links in the chain of events that leads to the Lord Jesus. Okay, now, Herod, he's reigned now for 35 years. There's evidence to show that this wasn't his first rule. So he's probably, a, he's probably a pretty old guy. He's probably 60 years old. And this king was just newborn. And so, but he's paranoid over a baby that's going to rival him when he, maybe he's 80 plus years old. So it's essential for Herod to have this newborn king killed. And Herod, he's not going to rest until there's blood spilled of this newborn king. So notice how sly he is in verse 7. It says, Then careful, then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired for them diligently what time the star appeared. So he privately calls them together. Why? He doesn't want it to be openly known that he was interested in this newborn Messiah king. I mean, he has a plan to murder him, and that might be dangerous if that comes out, if this is known that he has this interest. So he keeps this highly secret meeting with the Magi, and then he lets them in on a great secret. And the great secret is, says, I'm actually a worshiper of the Lord also. I'm a worshiper. I'm a secret worshiper of the King of the Jews, which, of course, is a lie. And he appears so sincere to the Magi. He says, you've got to help me so I can come and worship him too. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.